Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. If someone whose main engagement is studying Torah all day, so he's constantly serving God, okay, so he has to get rid of any trace of, of sadness in his heart. But what about someone who goes about his business, and most of his time is engaged in his business, his career? So he says, even such a person, if suddenly, in the middle of his business, he starts thinking about his terrible choices and starts feeling sad with a heavy heart, you should know where it's coming from. Where is it coming from? It's a coming from Yetzirah. It's not coming from a wholesome place. It's not coming from a good place. Why? Why would the Yetzirah suddenly bombard you with feelings of self-deficiency and feelings of insecurity and feelings of, of failure and feelings of sadness and heaviness, heaviness of heart, all your misdeeds and all your negative choices. What does he gain from it? Seemingly something very spiritual. He's thinking about your, your, your moral state. What's, what's wrong? What, what negative can possibly result from thinking about taking stock of your life, taking stock of your spiritual life, where you are morally and ethically and spiritually, so he says, yes, there is a very negative consequence that could result. And that's what motivates the Yetzirah. And that is, a person by nature wants to feel good about himself and about life. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy life. What happens when you feel terrible and you feel sad and you feel worthless? When a person is feeling so miserable about himself, you have to feel good. So you'll do whatever it takes to make you feel good. So therefore you'll indulge. Why do most people overeat? It's not because they're hungry. They're not feeling good about themselves. So they compensate by, by sitting and eating. It, it, it's, it's an emotional fix that they need because they feel worthless and they feel horrible about themselves and feel terrible. So they, they have to eat. It's an emotional attachment. Nothing to do with eating, nothing to do with food, nothing to do with anything. And, or any addiction. But many addictions are because a person feels so worthless about himself. A person feels so miserable that, that he just grabs the, the, the whatever. Some people it's, it's alcohol, some people it's smoking, and some people it's whatever it is. But it's that fix that they need just to feel good. They have to feel pleasurable again. They just have to feel the pleasure of life. You can't go around all day feeling worthless and miserable and horrible about yourself. So whatever gives you pleasure. Some people is eating, and some people is smoking, and some people is drinking, and other people is other things. But whatever addictive behavior is really results from a sense, a real inner sense of worthlessness. And you can't live with yourself. You can't. It's, it's too painful. You can't walk around thinking I'm worthless and feeling I'm worthless and feeling miserable. So you have to compensate. So you need your fix to feel good. Whatever makes you feel good. And gives you pleasure. So because the Yetzirah, your ego, your evil inclination wants you. He wants you to feel worthless. And that's why he's throwing into your mind. Suddenly, in the middle of a business, he's throwing into your mind all these holy thoughts. Suddenly you start taking spiritual stock of yourself. Just in order to, 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 to make you depressed. And once you're depressed, then he has you exactly where he wants you. Now you're depressed. Now you're going to do what he wants you to do. You're going to self-destruct. You're going to succumb. Because you don't have the strength. You don't have the energy. You don't have the strength to fight. I'm feeling horrible. I'm feeling miserable. I need my fix. I need something to feel good. And then you're lost. And you're out of control. And you're addicted. And you're on a self-destructive 
spiral. That's exactly what he wants. He's not your friend. <laughs> Everything is very clever. It's, it's with a tactic. It's a very clever tactic. It's like when you're fighting the enemy, one of the ways of fighting the enemy is demoralizing the enemy. It's a very important part of war. Not just the physical fighting. It's to demoralize the enemy. And this is a very, a very effective because I'm feeding on your own weakness. Because no one can criticize us like we can criticize ourselves. <laughs> if you ever listen to the, if you ever listen to the tape in our brain, in our heads, our worst enemies wouldn't treat us the way we we can treat ourselves sometimes. The way we tear ourselves down and berate ourselves and knock ourselves and just destroy ourselves. I mean, like viciously, without mercy, without rahmanus. To browbeat us into submission. To, if, it's, it's very pathetic. If, that's, if you think that's what's going to take to get you to shape up and to do the right thing by beating up on yourself and lashing out on yourself and tearing yourself into a million pieces and destroying yourself in your own eyes until you feel like worthless and garbage. And that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very poor motivation, period. But where is this coming from? Middle of nowhere, out of the blue, as you're going about your daily business. All of a sudden you're thinking about your spirituality and, 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 and your moral state of being. And it's completely demoralizing. Because that's exactly what the Yetzirah wants. He wants to demoralize you. I want to demoralize you. And if you walk around with a heavy heart, and you don't feel joy in your heart, and you don't feel excited, and you don't feel enthusiastic about life, and you don't feel up to the challenge, that's when you succumb. You succumb... You act in ways that's self-destructive, that's detrimental to yourself. That's when you become addicted. That's when you go to your next fix. And it's, it's, it's a spiral. It's a spiral. It's a dead end. And, um, and that's a very dangerous, dangerous spiral. So he says you have to be aware. If suddenly you're, you, these thoughts enter your mind, not only when you learn Torah and do mitzvah, that we understand that you have to get rid of these thoughts in the middle of learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. But even if these thoughts enter your mind as you go about your daily life, in the middle of the day, you have to dismiss these thoughts. It's not the time and it's not the place. So you can't just follow every urge and every instinct. You have to be critical. You have to think a moment. Where is this coming from? You can't say, well, it's a positive thought. I'm thinking about my character. It's wonderful. No, no, no. It's not so wonderful. (laughs) Wrong time, wrong place. What's the motive behind this? This is not coming from a healthy, wholesome place. Dismiss the thought. Go back to your book. Go back to your business. There's a time and place, which is, what is the time and the place? This is usually before a person goes to sleep. When you make an accounting for the entire day or the end of the week or before Rosh Chodesh, you make an accounting for the whole month, there are special times or at midnight, there are special times that are set aside. And it's something that you create, something that you, you choose the time and you actively evoke, stir up within yourself a feeling of remorse. First you think about the greatness of Hashem. Once you think about the greatness of Hashem and you evoke a feeling of love and attraction to Hashem, then you think that, look, I have sinned against my soul. I have sinned against the divine spark inside of me. Look what I have done. There's something, I have something so beautiful inside of me. I have this loving relationship with Hashem. Why would I mess it up? Why did I make such poor choices? Why would I do something that's so harmful? Then you can evoke a genuine regret. Then you can feel sad, you can feel sorry. But there's a life to the sorriness. It's, a, it's alive. It's, this is wholesome. This is coming from a good place. Because of course a person has to take stock of, stock of his life. 
You can't just be carefree and go around whistling and smiling and everything is wonderful and everything is good. A person has to be mature, a person has to be responsible, a person has to take responsibility for his life and you have to be honest with yourself. You have to know the good, the bad and the ugly. You have to know exactly what's going on in your life. And you have to take responsibility for the choices that you make and try to improve them. And the ugly you have to get rid of, period. The bad is something you can improve on or change. And the good you have to make even better. So there, there is a time and a place. A person does have to sit down and take stock of his life and know his strength and work on the strength and make it even better. Sharpen the strengths. You should shine even more. And then you have to know your weak points and strengthen them. Then you have to know those defective parts that have to be, dis- that have to be discarded because they can't be fixed. They're just negative behaviors, abrasive, arrogant behavior that just, just is inexcusable and it's just wrong, immorally, immoral and just wrong. And, and don't try to make it better. Just walk away from it. You know, you have 20 million recovering alcoholics in America. There's many behaviors you can overcome. Negative behaviors that are completely self-destructive, don't do any good for you, and you just have to get rid of it. It's not that you can't fine-tune it, you can't refine it. There's some things in your life which you have to, which are toxic and are no good for you, and you just have to walk away from it. Or, or... So you have to know yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to know the good, and you have to know the weak, and you have to know the negative. So there is a time. And, of course, when you do that type of self-reflection, it, it causes you a sadness. Your heart is all agitated. You're upset and you're sad and you're bitter. You feel bitter that you have these, these spiritual illnesses inside of you. And you have to deal with it. And, of course, it causes your heart a certain sadness. But you are proactive. You are choosing the time and the space. And there is a context. I am doing it because first I understand the greatness of Hashem and I understand I have a relationship with Hashem. And then you measure your life in that, in, that, um, in that context. What am I doing in my life to strengthen that relationship? What am I doing in my life that's weakening that relationship? What do I have to get rid of in my life? But then there's a context. There's, a, there's an energy. It, it's a vibrant, dynamic, dynamic uh, type of uh, um, process. And that's full of life and energy. But immediately afterwards, you have to remove the sadness from your heart and you have to feel joy. Knowing that Hashem has forgiven you. How do I know? Maybe not. Why am I so confident that Hashem has forgiven me? Because that's also part of the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah wants to keep you sad. Because he has a greater chance of striking, of striking its rich when you're sad and you're depressed and you're down, then when you're joyful and you're upbeat, up, up then, he, then he has no access to you. When you're joyful and upbeat and positive, he can't approach you. When a person has something precious, why would he do anything to soil it? Why would he do anything to destroy it? So when you feel life is beautiful, and life is precious, and your soul is precious, and you have a precious relationship with Hashem, why would I go with my own hands and destroy and act, just like you have junk food, act in a junk lifestyle? Why would I do it? Why would I take something so precious and special and destroy it? I wouldn't. So the Yetzirah knows that his chances of success, when the Jew is upbeat and enthusiastic and optimistic and hopeful and excited, is very, is very, is very nil. It's very low. So he wants to keep you in a depressed state. When you're depressed, and you're down, and you have the blues, and you're, you're down on yourself, and you beat up on yourself. And, and he doesn't have to do it. Once we start beating up on ourselves, there's no, one, there's no one that does it better than ourselves. 
we tear ourselves apart and when we feel so down and we feel so worthless, then, then it's open season. Then you can then we'll do whatever, whatever, any urge, any, we don't have the strength to resist temptation, we don't have the strength, then we'll do something that will make us feel good, even though we know it's self-destructive. So that's also part of the Yetzirah. The right thing to do is, the, once you go through this process of self-examination, of soul-search, you have to have faith that Hashem is good, Hashem is kind. Hashem is not vindictive, God is not vindictive. If he sees that we're sincere and we ask his forgiveness and we take stock of our situation and we take responsibility for our situation and we feel sad about our situation and we turn to Hashem and say, please, I'm sorry, forgive me. We have to have faith that Hashem has forgiveness. And Hashem's forgiveness is not like human forgiveness. Human forgiveness, as Alter Rebbe explains in the fourth part of Tanya, human forgiveness is limited. If someone asks you forgiveness once, you forgive them. Twice, I'll forgive them. Three times, maybe. The fourth time, <laughs> that's it. You're doing the same sin over and over and over again. There's a limit to my, to my forgiveness. But Hashem is infinite. So for Hashem, a thousand times and a million times and one time is all the same. So just like you can forgive the first time, Hashem will forgive us the millionth time, just like He forgave us after the first time. That's why we can say each and every day, three times a day, Salah please God, forgive me. We ask Hashem for forgiveness like we learned earlier, for the three most common sins, which is almost impossible for a human not to, not to violate. One of them is studying Torah every moment. It's almost impossible. So even though we sin between each and every time we ask Hashem for forgiveness, Hashem forgives us again. Even though we ask endless times. And we're going to do it again. But if we're sincere, and we ask Hashem sincerely, and it bothers us, and it troubles us, and it hurts us, and we're in pain. And we ask Hashem, please, Hashem, forgive me. I'm sorry. Hashem forgives us. And a Jew has to have faith that Hashem forgives. And be joyful about it. Feel good. And if we don't feel good, that's also part of the Yitzhar. You have to realize that Hashem is good. Hashem is kind. Torah is life. Torah is good. Hashem is good. In the world, Hashem created a good world. And we are good. And... He wants us to be good, and He wants us to succeed, and He wants us to do the right thing. And deep down, we want to do the right thing. And deep down, the whole world wants us to do the right thing. So, we messed up, okay? You ask forgiveness, you realize your mistake, you pick yourself up, and we are proactive, and we go further. And we try to grow, and we try to change. One step at a time, one baby step forward. It's not where you are on the ladder, it's which direction you're going. As long as you're growing, as long as you're moving forward, as long as you, you take one step forward. That's all Hashem asks of us. Hashem doesn't ask of us the impossible. We're human. But it's which direction. As long as you go forward, grow, change, move forward, one baby step at a time, push yourself a drop. So as long as we're trying, and we're improving, and we're growing, and we're, then we're, then we're connected, and Hashem forgives us. And this is what Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, means that Bechol Etzev Yehmeiser, that every sadness he sees an advantage. As he explained, in the sadness alone there is no advantage. Sadness is no good. Sadness is no good. You have to run away from sadness as far as possible, because sadness leads, leads to depression, 
you feel dejected, you feel depressed, you feel worthless, and you can't stop thinking about yourself. Very selfish and self-centered as well, and self-absorbed, and you're sad, constantly sad. So nothing good will come out of it per se. It's only out of sadness there could be an advantage. Out of this type of sadness, when the sadness is in a very controlled time, a very limited time, and it's controlled, and it's conscious, and in the right context, and it's something that you're doing proactive, and then it's something that's very energetic and enthusiastic, then that's, that's like a medicine, a bitter medicine, a pill. If it's given in the right amount, in the right time, in the right place, then it could lead to health, it can lead to something advantageous. Alone, no one sits down to eat medicine. Alone is poison. Alone is not something you just take. It's not part of your diet. It's not part of your regular diet. Your regular diet has to be joy. Simcha. At all times. Not only when you're studying Torah and doing mitzvot, even when you're going about your business. In general, you walk around it, you have to feel good. Your heart has to be clear. You have to feel hopeful, optimistic, positive. No matter what happens externally. Whether you're suffering materially, or even if you're suffering, spirit, suffering spiritual, you feel terrible about yourself. You're suffering spiritually. If you have an angst, you made some terrible choices in life. You did some terrible things in your life. You feel horrible about yourself. That should not be part of your diet. That's not the way you should feel on a regular basis. A person, it's essential that a person always feels simcha, walk around with a joyful heart and with an open heart and a clear heart. Then there are moments and there are times that you do need to feel the atzvus. You do need to feel this bitterness. And that bitterness will clear the heart, clear the arteries, spiritual arteries, and get the blood pumping again. So that's the advantage that comes as a result because the joy that comes after this bitterness is much more intense and much more powerful than if a person did not have to deal with, these, with this negativity. So there is an advantage of dealing with the negativity, but at the right time, at the right place. And very careful. You have to be very careful about it. You have to be very minimal and just enough, not too much. When you administer medicine, you have to be very careful. No overdose. So no overdose of bitterness, no overdose of, of, of sharpness, no overdose of, of, of sadness. Just at the right, at the right uh, measurement, and then that will lead to, to joy. Everything is essentially godly and good and wholesome and dynamic and vibrant. And the world is being recreated each and every moment. Every moment is a brand new moment, a fresh moment. God doesn't grow tired. Despite all the sin and all the treachery that has been happening in the last 55,768 years, every morning it's a brand new world. The sun shines again. God doesn't grow tired. Brand new beginning. Brand new world. Every day is a new beginning, which is one of the reasons why... God created the world in a way that we all go to sleep every night. So every, every, we can experience the excitement of a new beginning. If we never slept, if life was just low, one long continuum, you would lose that excitement. Here, every day is a brand new day. No matter what happened yesterday, you put all your cares and concerns and all your aches and pains of yesterday, you wake up, you're refreshed. It's a brand new day. A brand new day. A whole new day. A whole new energy. This is a whole different approach to life. You have to look at life from God's point of view. From the inside out, instead of looking at life, a person's always depressed and dejected, sense of worthlessness. That's looking at life from the external, from the outside looking in. 
But when you experience life from God's point of view, inside looking out, every day is brand new, every day is fresh. It's filled with possibilities, filled with exciting possibilities and opportunities. And it's, 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 so there's a positive outlook. There's a, and then you realize that being joyful, that's the natural state of being. And it's everything else that's unnatural. An aberration, a distortion. And it takes an inordinate amount of energy to maintain that distortion. To feel depressed takes a lot of energy. <laughs> to feel joyful is very natural. <laughs> Someone asked the Rebbe, how are you? He says, thank God, I'm always joyful. And one, he once told one of his Hasidim, that came into the room in a very, very sad face. And Rebbe says, with depression, don't stand in my four cubits. Please, out of here. You know, don't stand in my... This is... The Rebbe's whole approach was joyful. If you ever merited participate in one of his Fabrengans, or if you saw any, any tapes of it, the Rebbe was joyful, and he wanted everyone... He caused everyone around him also. He evoked that joy and just a whole different approach to life. And when you're joyful, you can do amazing things. You can outdo yourself. You can... Your mind is open. Your heart is open. You can do so much more. You have an appetite for so much more. You can, you can accomplish so much more. And in a pleasant way. How you accomplish it. When you're joyful and with a smile, the way you accomplish it is also pleasant and beautiful. And, you know, and, and it can really get to you. Joy can get to you. is contagious. It can get to a person a lot more than through bitterness and tears. When you cry, you cry alone. But when you're joyful, it, it, even for yourself, it gets to you and it elevates you and inspires you and it moves you much more than, than tears. So joy is an essential ingredient. It's not just a detail. It's an essential part of life. And it's an attitude. And it's something that comes from within, something you have to cultivate and develop and realize. Maybe shift your whole perspective, realize, maybe counterintuitive. This was actually a characteristic of the Hasidim. The Hasidim, the first generation, before they were called Hasidim, were called the joyous ones. Smechim, they were the joyous ones. That was the nature of a Hasid. How can you tell a Hasid? You can tell a Hasid a mile away. You look at his nose, there's, there's a joy, there's a, there's a hopefulness, there's an optimism, there's a love of life. There's, you know, life is precious, life is beautiful. You are beautiful. Hashem's world, God's world is beautiful. God is beautiful. Loving, kind, good, gentle. And you see a beautiful world. And everything is done gently and beautifully and lovingly and joyfully. And with enthusiasm and excitement. It's a whole different attitude. It's a whole different approach to life. And when you're joyful, you're less likely to sin. It's a fact. You feel great. Why, why would I mess it up? Why would I, why would I soil it with my own hands? Why would I take garbage and dump it? Why would I allow these thoughts in, into my mind? Why would I allow negative thoughts into my mind? I have something so beautiful, and it's like dumping up garbage on my... On my why would I do it? You're less likely. You're not open to it. You're not so vulnerable. When you're feeling worthless and sad and depressed, you're very vulnerable. You don't have the strength. You can't resist. Your resistance is completely down. Your immune system is completely down. If you have no immune system, the slightest bug can, can kill you. So if you have no immune system, the smallest thing can knock you out. can knock you dead. So joy is our immune system. When you're joyful, 
the more vibrant you are, the more alive you are, the more alert you are, the more excited you are, the more wholesome and just your heart is open, the more the healthier your immune system. You can you can withstand, resist any bug, any 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 negativity. You can deal with it, and you can just brush it off. And you're resilient, and you can overcome. But when your immune system is down, when you're sad and heavy and depressed, and you feel worthless and dejected, and then your immune system is gone. When your immune system is gone, the smallest thing will knock you out. The code of Jewish law begins, the opening line of the code of Jewish law is, you have to remember, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. God is constantly before me. And the last line of the code of Jewish law of Urachayim is, Toiv Elev Mishtatamit. That a person should always be a joyful heart, a celebrating heart. Always feel like celebrating, feel joyful, feel good about life. The two tummits, constant. Constantly, Hashem is constantly in front of me, and you should always be joyful. And these are the two ingredients, and they go hand in hand. How can a person feel joyful? A joy that comes from within. A joy that warms your body and warms every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. It really, really gives you an inner sense of warmth and comfort. A real joy, not a superficial joy. I'm walking around pretending I'm joyous. I mean, a real joy. It comes from the realization that Hashem is with you, and that it's God's world, and it's a dynamic world. And the world is alive. And the world is soulful. And the world is... It's good. And that's the natural state of me. And if anything else, that's, that's the aberration. That's the distortion. Of course, it has to be dealt with, but there are times to deal with it. In general, focus on the positive, focus on the good, strengthen the good, and overwhelm the negative. Overwhelm the negative. There's no room for the negative. When you're joyful, there's no, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you're not interested. Then you're not vulnerable. Then you have a healthy immune system, you can reject whatever is thrown at you, you, you have the strength to overcome any negative. So it's not a detail, it's like your whole immune system. Your whole immune system is healthy, then you can overcome anything. If your immune system is shot, you're vulnerable, the smallest sickness will kill you. And without joy, your immune system is shot. And you're extremely vulnerable. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's a medical fact, I understand. Because people who are depressed, their immune systems really are down, and they really are more vulnerable to infection. Not only that, but there's a factor in people's brains that helps the neurons flourish and branch out. When you're depressed, that chemical is lacking. It's depleted. And when people stop being depressed, you have more of that chemical and your brains function better. So what you're saying is really medical fact now. They're discovering more and more that systems don't function well when people are depressed. Who, who was it? The Norman cousin? No, who was it who cured his cancer? He, Laughter's the best. Person. Laughter. He, he locked himself up in the hotel room. The doctor said he was... You know, he only had a few months to live. He had a, a incurable cancer, and um, he locked himself up in the hotel room, <laughs> took out some good comedies, and he laughed himself to health, and he wrote a whole book about it. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.